Amen. Thank you, praise team. It's wonderful to worship with you, and that is an awesome hymn that gets to the heart of even what we are talking about today and what we talk about every Sunday, which is what Christ has done for us. Today we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read verses 6 through 11 together, so I invite you to turn over there with me. If you don't have a Bible with you today, you'll find there's a few Bibles there, and just flip over to the page that's on the screen. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Let's go to God's Word together. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of your righteousness You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As you are, quick note, we do not have Kingdom Kids today. Uh, We will resume our Kingdom Kids ministry next week. But it is the week before school starts for most students throughout Carnes County. Uh, Our brothers and sisters in Carnes City started school this past week. But all of our other schools in the area have begun school, and so oftentimes parents need that little bit of break before school starts, and so we don't have Kingdom Kids this Sunday before the beginning of school, and so here we are. We do have extra folders in the back. Uh, I think they may all be gone by now, but um, parents, you'll figure it out. You know what to do. A couple quick announcements, and then we'll pray and dive into God's Word today. A couple, couple things I want to make you aware of. Next Sunday... After church, we're going to have a church-wide fellowship. We're going to have lunch together right over here in the, edu- right over here in the Christian Life Center. And we're going to meet downstairs in the fellowship hall. Uh, the theme is picnic. So you can bring your favorite picnic uh, items. I'm so the wrong person to talk about this. But that's what I know, okay? You can just find someone more knowledgeable like Miss Amy or, or Miss Joyce or someone like that. Just look around. But you just plan to come, plan to hang out, have lunch with us. We're going to have a great time together. And then right after we have lunch, we'll have our uh, monthly church business meeting. If you're a member of our church, we highly encourage you to stick around for that lunch uh, and, or for that business meeting. If you're not a member, still come to lunch. We'll let, we'll get, I always give a one-minute warning or a two-minute warning. Hey, we're going to start business meeting soon. So you don't have to stick around for that if you don't want to. But if you're a member, we do ask that you please plan to be here for that. And it's going to be an important time together as a church family. Let me check my sheet, make sure I got it all. Yeah, that's it. All right. I nailed it. I'm proud of myself, y'all. Are y'all awake today? Come on. Come on. All right. It's good to be together. I'm excited about what God has for us through his words. So let's go to him in prayer and we'll dive in. Let's pray. God, what a blessing it is to be together. God, I'm so thankful for my brothers and sisters in Christ who come to worship you. I'm thankful for those who come and they're just trying to figure out what, what is this Christianity thing all about? What is God all about? 
or they just want to grow closer to you. God, in your wisdom, you have given us these moments of worship on the Lord's Day, and we are just thankful for this time together that we have had so far. And we pray for this time as we engage in your word. God, that you would speak to us through your holy scriptures. God, we recognize that when we come to the Bible, we are not coming simply to a book. It is not another book among other books. It is not the best book among all other books. The scriptures are inspired by your Holy Spirit. And therefore, they are your living word, able to pierce our hearts, able to speak truth, able to comfort, able to correct, able to encourage. And so as we come to your word today, I pray that you would help our minds to focus in on what you have said here, because we believe that you have something to say about our lives today. God, help our hearts to be softened towards you, that we may receive it as words from our heavenly, loving Father. And God, I pray that you ready our hands and feet, that we would not just be, as Brother James says, a hearer only of the word in his epistle, but that we would be doers of your word as we leave this place today. And all this we pray and give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I remember when I was a young teenager, they used to have these... Um, things that you plugged into a wall and there was a cord and they're called telephones and we don't really have that kind of telephone anymore but you could pick up that phone and call people i know it's amazing we have these bricks in our pocket now and we hardly ever use it to call anybody but we have these cell phones and i remember one of the silly fun things we would do you know you're just kind of a young teenager so you know those two parts of the brain aren't coming together yet um, and so, you know, you don't always make good decisions. We love you teenagers, but that's the truth. That's just, it's biology. You can't argue with the science, okay? And so we would stay up late and we would watch these uh, different infomercials and stuff like that. We thought it would be funny to call in and we would just talk to whoever's selling it. We would just kind of go on and make up funny voices and all that. And one of the things that we like to do is we like to watch um, the religious channel. Because the religious channel, and if you love the religious channel, you may want to tune me out for a minute. But it, sometimes it can be a little silly, especially after midnight. It gets really interesting. And that's where, if you're watching after midnight, sometimes, at least back when I used to do this, they would offer you free holy cloths that they blessed and free holy water that they blessed, and they would just send it to you. All you had to do was call in, give them your information, and they would send you a free holy cloth or a free holy water. And we thought that was the funnest thing in the world. So we called up. And we gave them our information, and sure enough, it arrived in the mail, along with a request to donate money. And I didn't know this at the time, but if you give someone your information who wants your money, they will contact you a lot. I had no idea. And we just got inundated with letters from, from different ministries offering us, you know, we are blessed by this free cloth. We are blessed by this holy water. Now, would we like to be a blessing to this ministry. And of course I have no money, so I did not want to be a blessing. (laughs) So it totally worked out, you know, as I got older and really kind of became a Christian and became established uh, as a leader in the church and things like that, it it was no longer funny to me. It kind of offended me. I thought, you know, these people there, it seems like they're preying on people. Now, not everyone who is a Christian talker on TV is trying to take advantage of people. I know that, but I remember just thinking about that, just thinking, you know, What are they doing? They're offering a solution at a price. And it started to really bother me. And so 
I let that over the years creep in even to my ministry where I would not talk about money much at all, either in my teaching or my preaching of Scripture. And I remember the Holy Spirit convicted me of that because in reality, there is a balance here. Because in reality, God has a lot to say about our money and our things because that's stuff that he gave us. And he expects that stuff that he gave us to be stewarded well. When God gives you a gift, he wants you to use that gift in accordance to his grace. And so I began to understand that, that, that stewardship, Christian stewardship, taking care of the things that God has given us is actually a very important part of our discipleship. It's a big part of our lives. Most of us go to work every day, or a lot of us do. Uh, we, we spend money every day. We have resources that we, that, that we utilize every day. Money and stuff is a big part of our lives, and how we use it is a big part of our Christian faith, or at least it should be. So begin to understand that and say, you know what, uh, I, I don't want to do what they do. I don't want to talk about money as a way to try to get you to give money. And so I'm going to give you a disclaimer at the front before we dive in. I'm not after your money. Uh, our church is blessed. We have the resources we need. Um, we are not hurting. For, this is not a sermon because money's low, okay? It's not that situation. And I praise God for that because if money's not low, who do we have to give thanks for that? God. When money is low, who do we look for to help us through that? God. So, so it's not about that. In fact, uh, this is just, we're working through the reading of the New Testament together. And this is part of what we read this previous week. And if you're on that plan, you know that. If you're not on that plan, I invite you to read the Bible with us. And uh, you'll find handouts in the back on the tables. It's a reading plan, looks like this, shows you what to read every week. It's got some more information in there. Grab it, read along with us. And every, every Sunday I preach from something that we read the previous week. And often what I look for is what was really significant in this past week's reading. And it is by far 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Paul takes a whole two chapters to write to the church in Corinth to talk about money. Two whole chapters. So that stands out. This is something significant that Paul wanted to address with the church in Corinth. So this is something significant for us to address as well. And in fact, um, as I was reading, I like to use study Bibles. Y'all get tired of me hearing me say this, but I don't mind saying it over and over for those who may be new. A study Bible is a great tool. It has the scripture verses on top, and it's got study notes below that help explain what you read on top. If you don't have a study Bible... And maybe it's a $30 investment for some of the more affordable ones. $25 is not that bad. But if you need a study Bible, maybe you don't have that. Or maybe you'd like one today. Just get with me after church. I give you one. I give them away like candy because I think they're so awesome. And one of the study Bibles I use is called the Christian Standard Bible or CSB. And it said this uh, regarding 2 Corinthians as a whole. It says, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 specifically is the most extensive New Testament teaching on Christian Stewardship. So that's my disclaimer. It's too important out of all the chapters we read this week not to share with you what Paul has to say about Christian stewardship. So I want to dive in. I want to give you a little context to begin with. We know that Paul helped establish this church in Corinth a number of years ago prior to the writing of this letter. And so he's the one that God used to, to start this church. He left to begin to do other missionary work because he was a missionary. And things started to kind of fall apart there. And in part, they had other teachers coming in, teaching things contrary and kind of pitting the people against Paul. And so you have Paul in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We also have a lost letter to the church in Corinthians, at least one. 
where he is trying to mend this relationship with the people in Corinth because he loves them, he helped start the church, he cares about them. And so this is an important church to him, as all the churches were. But he had a heart for the church because he helped start it. And so he was troubled that they were having all these relationship issues. And he's trying to mend those things. And, and prior to the disruption in this relationship, uh, he had talked to them about the need to send an offering or a gift over to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was kind of one of those places in which they birthed other churches. Leaders from inside the church in Jerusalem went out, and Paul was one of them, and went out and started helping plant these other churches. And so these are their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem that were going through a very difficult time. The church in Jerusalem, and there's lots of reasons why. Uh, One of the most notable things that was happening in the church in Jerusalem is the overpopulation of the city led to... Uh, uh, problems with food supply, a famine added to that issue. And so it became a real problem, and they were having issues with getting food. And so they had this famine problem. They were being persecuted. The church in, in, uh, in the city was being persecuted by the Jewish believers, were being persecuted by the non-Jewish believers, particularly the Sadducees. The Christians there who were uh, Jewish, they had to pay taxes in Judah, uh, uh, that which, which was the region around Jerusalem. They had to pay taxes and Judah both to the Jewish uh, temple, but also to the Romans. And so they had all these things going against them, and they were really experiencing financial challenges. And so Paul spent a good portion of his third missionary journey going across kind of that area saying, hey, you know, our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, they're struggling. We're going to take up an offering for them. And when he mentioned this to Corinth, Corinth was on board immediately. They were excited about the opportunity to give. In fact, Paul says about them in chapter 9, verse 2, that they were eager to help. And so they're eager to help, but once Paul left and the relationship began to sour, they kind of, the folks in Corinth and the church there just kind of forgot all about that eagerness to help the church in Jerusalem by taking up an offering and getting it to them. So, now Paul feels like, hey, our relationship's on the men. By 2 Corinthians, things are beginning to look up. They're, they patch things up. Things are going a little bit better. We even have some, some uh, information that he even made a personal visit in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians to try to make things work. And things are coming together. And so he says, okay, so now's a good opportunity for us to revisit this issue, to revisit the reality that we've got our brothers and sisters over here in Jerusalem suffering, and we need to do something to help. You've shown your eagerness to help, and so we want to uh, bless them. Now, go back to what I said earlier. They were one of the first ones to say, I want to be involved. I want to serve. Their willingness to serve, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, actually inspired others to serve the church in Jerusalem by giving to their need. The churches, he talks about the churches in Macedonia, which would include churches in places like Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. That those churches heard about what Corinth intended to do. And they were so inspired by that that they decided, we want in on that. We want to be able to bless our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And they gave. Now here's the thing that happens uh, in this area of Macedonia. They're much poorer than the Christians in the churches in Achaia, which included the church in Corinth. These churches over here, the people over here, had a lot less. Paul talked about uh, their situation at the beginning of chapter 8. He says about them, the, the brothers and sisters in the churches in Macedonia, he says, you know, they're going through severe trials. They're living in extreme poverty. 
But we read, but they gave beyond their ability. In fact, Paul knew how tough it was for them, the churches in Macedonia. And after hearing what Corinthian intended to do, and they're all excited, Paul tried to say, listen, you know, don't go overboard here. I know your situation, you know, and, and maybe just temper what you think you can do to help those, those folks over in Jerusalem. Okay, so just, just relax and calm down. And they begged Paul. No, Paul, we want to give. We want to bless them. We want to be involved in what God is doing to help the church in Jerusalem. So they, they, Paul says they gave beyond their ability. And it reminds me of, uh, you know, tithing or giving, to, giving a portion of your finances to the Lord. Uh, that was a discipline that began for me very early as a Christian. And I'm very glad that it set in early. But one thing I heard, and I've learned that it's true is that if you do not give when you have little, you will not give when you have much. If you are unwilling to give out of your poverty, it is almost certain you'll be unwilling to give out of your wealth. And Paul is contrasting the two, saying, look at these churches in Macedonia. They are in severe trials, they're going through extreme poverty, and yet they saw it as a joy to give, even beyond their ability. So he's using that compare and contrast. He's saying, you guys wanted to give and you haven't fulfilled that. These guys heard about your willingness to forgive. You inspired them and they went above and beyond. So let's talk about what it looks like for you to be like them, that you might too well up in rich generosity as he describes the church of Macedonia. Before we get to that, I want to talk about what Paul's not after, because I think this is helpful for us to understand. Again, this is one of the most extensive, uh, according to the CSB Study Bible, the most extensive teaching on biblical stewardship in the entire New Testament. So it's worth learning some things about what Paul is describing, what he's not after and what he is after. Now, when I say Paul, of course, I'm talking about the Apostle Paul, but I'm also talking about the Holy Spirit who spoke through Paul through the writing of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and his other epistles. So what we're really saying here is what is God after, and what is he not after when it comes to our wealth? So what's he not after? We're going to start there. First of all, we see God's not really after someone who would just give non-financially to the church. He's not after someone who will just be a non-financial giver only. Where do we get that? Look at, we're going to be in both chapters, so you're going to have to follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, again, there's one in the pew. It might be helpful to you. Chapter 8, verse 7. Paul says this. He's talking to the church in Corinth, right? He says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. So he's saying to them, church, I see all the ways you're serving God, Don't stop doing all of that great stuff. Add to it the willingness to embrace the grace of giving. So Paul, neither God, is after some church who just wants to give non-financially. That's not what he's interested in. Neither is he interested in impoverishing those who give. Where do we get that? Chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. Look at the scriptures with me. For if the willingness is there, Paul says, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that you would be relieved while, or that our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. 
What is he saying? He's saying God's not interested in making you poor in order to enrich others. What God is interested in is you helping others out of what God has given you. That's what God is interested in. So that's the second thing. First of all, he's not interested in just being a non-financial giver. We serve the Lord, but we don't give financially. God, the scripture, Paul is saying here to the church, we want you to add to the service financial giving. God is not after, and Paul is not after, impoverishing the giver to make, to make them poor so that others might be rich. He's not interested in that. The third thing is, is that Paul neither is God, I believe, after a blind giver. Look at chapter 8, verse 20 and 21 with me. Paul says, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, we are doing our best to make sure that when you give to this work in Jerusalem, when you give us that money and you, and you know that the intention is to get it to Jerusalem to bless them, that you can trust us with it. And Paul lays out them the plan, who's helping, what they're, what they're going to do, how they're going to work. Through. He lays it all out for them. And he says, I just want you to know that we are working hard, that you can trust us as we take the money that you give in order to bless the church in Corinth. He's not saying, nothing to see here. You don't need to know what's going on. Just give. He doesn't do that. He says, let me tell you how it's working out. Let me tell you how, this, how we're doing this. I want you to know what's going on so that you can trust when you give. So he's not, he's not interested in just blindly giving. And I think that's a good word for us because when you give, whether it's to this church or another Christian organization, it's good to know what are you giving to. It's, it's good to have some information. We want to be prudent in that way. And God is certainly not asking us not to be prudent. The fourth thing, and now we're going to get into chapter 9 and we're going to hang out in a couple verses that are really significant. 9, 5, 6, and 7. Starting with verse 5, the fourth thing that Paul nor God is after is a begrudging giver. Someone who gives without the desire to give. And, and we've all been there. I'm there every time a child loses a tooth and the tooth fairy has to show up. I'm not, I'm not really wanting to do that. All right, I, I do it, but I don't really want to do it. You know what I mean? And we've all probably been there in some way, in some time, or some area of our life. We give, but we really don't want to do it. Can I tell you, that's not what God's after. God's not after us being a begrudging giver, someone who gives but doesn't want to give. He says that very clearly in chapter 9, verse 5. He says, So I thought it necessary to urge you, urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Paul is sending this letter in advance. He's saying, I want you to be thinking and preparing. And I would just assume Paul means in addition to those things, that a part of those things is praying about what God wants you to give. Because I don't want you to do so begrudgingly. I want you to work through this. And and we're going to actually talk a little bit more about that. Uh, Paul also wants them not only to be... uh, He doesn't want them to be begrudging givers. He also doesn't want them to be meager givers. He says in verse 6, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. The indication there is Paul is wanting them to reap generously. But the reaping generously only comes after the sowing generously. And so Paul, neither God, is wanting us to be meager in our giving, 
but to be generous sowers. Sowers are someone who would take the seed and they would sow it. They'd put it out on the ground and that seed would sprout and grow ten times, a hundred times crop than the one seed itself and it would be a blessing to many. And God is wanting us to do the same thing with the finances that he gives us. That we take some of that, whatever amount that the Lord would give us, and give it generously. Because we know that when we give according to the will of God, it's going to do some good stuff. So God is not interested in simply being meager givers. He wants us to be generous. The sixth thing that God doesn't want us to be is compulsory givers. We see that in verse 7. In verse 7, he says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A compulsory giver is someone who gives without giving a lot of thought to it. Just kind of unconscious. You know, uh, we, just, we just write the check. We just send the money. We don't even think about it. We're not, we're not uh, contemplating the money and where it's going and what it can do. We're not praying through it. We just, comp- we just give it comp- in a compulsory way. We just feel uh, obligated to give, and so we give. You know, it's a, it's a duty, so I give, and that's it, and, I, and there's not much else to it. That's not what God is interested in. He's not interested in us being a compulsory giver. And the seventh and final thing that God nor Paul is interested in, he doesn't want us to be a reluctant giver. He doesn't want us to give without that conviction that I am honoring the Lord with what he has given me. And so I'm being generous with this gift. And we just read that in verse 7 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, where Paul says that he's not after someone who would give reluctantly. So all of that, if you find yourself in one of those areas, okay, you may be, you know, one who is a non-financial giver, but you serve, or maybe, you know, uh, you're concerned that by giving you're going to be impoverished, or, or, you know, you don't want to just give and not know what it's going to, or, or you know, you're, you're doing, you give, but you do so begrudgingly, or you give, but it's just a little bit, it's not generous. Uh, we give, but we just do it out of obligation. It's, it's, we feel compelled to do it, but our hearts aren't really in it, or we reluctantly give. Uh, because of some kind of sense of duty or guilt or something like that. Uh, none of that is what God wants for us. And I hope you're saying, okay, you kinda, you've taken way too long on this point. I know what you're thinking, okay? Because that's kind of what I'm thinking myself. Like, I wrote way too many of these down. But, honestly, I'm just trying to follow what was in the, in the Scriptures, and I wanted to try to be a little comprehensive here. But let me tell you what, what God really wants. Because it's not this stuff. Let me tell you what God is really after. What God is really interested in. And through the Holy Spirit, he inspires the Apostle Paul to communicate this to them. What God is really interested in is that we would be gospel-driven, glad and generous givers. That's what Paul, that's what God, that's what the Spirit of God is really after. That we would be gospel-driven, glad, and generous givers. Now, where do we get all that stuff from? Let's start with gospel-driven. Gospel-driven. Look at verse 9 of chapter 8 with me. Go back to chapter 8. We're going to look at the second half of verse 9. Wait. Chapter 9, verse 13. I skipped ahead. Chapter 9, verse 13. 
Chapter 9, verse 13, Paul says, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing them with them, with everyone else. He, he is saying that this giving that, that we are anticipating that you will do in order to help the churches in Jerusalem ought to be rooted in your belief in the gospel. That there is good news for sinners like you and me. There is good news that, that God has done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. That God has blessed us in incredible ways. That God has given us a spiritual wealth in Jesus that we could never have earned in our own efforts. That there's something about the good news of Jesus that leads us to be these cheerful givers. Chapter 8, verse 9, as I just mentioned a second ago, what we see is what the gospel is. It is one of the most beautiful verses in the entirety of uh, the letters to the Corinthians. Uh, it's worth memorizing. And it talks about what Jesus has done. What, what, does it, what does the gospel mean? How can we be gospel driven? It's good news. What is the good news? Paul puts it here that though he, now he's talking about Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor. So that, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, it's not talking about physical wealth here. It's not talking about material wealth, rather. What Paul is saying is that Jesus was the most spiritually wealthy person that's ever walked the face of the planet because he had the closest relationship with the Father that anyone could ever hope for. He was spiritually wealthy in that way. And when I think about that, listen, I know we, we spend so much of our life going after money. We spend so much of our life trying to get our lives wrapped up in comfort, and wealth, to have enough. We, we pursue it, we chase it, we worry about it. And I am no different. All that's going to fade away. In a hundred years, in a thousand years, in a million years, what your bank account looked like when you died will not matter. There is a spiritual wealth that will matter. It matters now. It'll matter forever. And there was no one more spiritually wealthy than Jesus. Because his spiritual wealth was that he had a connection with a father from eternity that was perfectly loving. And he was willing to endure the cross, taking on the sins of the world, interrupting that perfect relationship with his father. From going from spiritually wealthy and rich to becoming spiritually poor. That's what Paul's saying. He who was rich became poor. When did Jesus become poor? When he took on the sins of the world and experienced this interruption between his relationship with himself and the Heavenly Father. He became poor. Why? Why would he give up the most valuable thing anyone could ever have? A perfectly loving, eternal relationship with our Creator. Why would he give that up? So that us who are spiritually poor, us who do not have that kind of relationship. Us who have a broken relationship with God because of our sin so that us, so that we 
could have something that he had. He gave away his wealth so that we might become wealthy. And understand, I'm not talking about money. He gave away his spiritual wealth that you and I might have a spiritual wealth that can never fade. He gave his life that we might have life. That we might become rich in Jesus. This is what it means to be a gospel-driven giver. So when we understand that, we can fulfill the other parts of that sentence that Paul and God is after gospel-driven, glad and generous givers. When we're gospel-driven, we see what God has done for us and we say, I, I, I want to I show my love for God. I want to be generous towards God and the things of God. I want to give to Him. I want to show Him in a material and tangible way how much God has blessed me. I, and I don't care what's sitting in the, in the garage or the carport. I don't, I don't care where we're going home and eating lunch at. It's, it's not about any of that. I'm saying God has blessed me spiritually with a wealth I can never earn and will never lose. And I want to show that in a tangible way. And so we're glad givers. At the heart of this, that's what Paul, that's what God is after. God loves cheerful givers. Why? Because a cheerful giver is giving because they know how much they've been given. That's what makes a cheerful giver a cheerful giver. Is they know how much they have been given. And so of course they give with cheer in their heart. Let me tell you. If you are not giving with cheer in your heart, you might as well just keep it. I know there's some in the church that say, well, don't say that. We got bills to pay. I'm just telling you what I think the Bible tells us. If you cannot give to the Lord and his work here or elsewhere without joy in your heart, just keep it. I'm I'm telling you, just keep it. But if you want to experience joy in a pretty significant part of your life, your material and financial part of your life, then find a way to get to this place where the gospel so fills your heart with joy that you can't help but to give. And to give generously. Generously is no dollar amount. We know that from scripture. We know it from what we've just read here. That it's not about an amount that's not what God is at. He's not after, I don't even know that God is particularly interested in your percentages. He wants you to prayerfully and thoughtfully be a generous giver in the ways that the Holy Spirit directs you to give. And when we understand the gospel, our hearts are filled with joy. And we say, well, I can't wait to give and I want to give as much as the Lord would enable me. And what the scriptures teaches is that when we do that, God gives us more. Now, I'm not telling you what that more looks like. I'm not saying you give a dollar to the church and all of a sudden you get $2 in your bank account. I don't. Personally, that's not how it works. Here's what I do know. Seeking to be a faithful giver for over two decades, I have seen God bless and me and my family have never been without. I've seen what God says here that, that I can give now more. I can give more now than I did 10 years ago or 10 years prior to that. Now, I don't, know, I don't understand heavenly math, okay? I don't get all, how all that works. I just know when you are honoring God, God's going to take care of you. I don't know what that looks like. I'm not making any proclamations. It's not a health and wealth sermon, all right? 
I'm just telling you what Paul says. When you sow generously, you will reap generously. Some of those blessings may have nothing to do with the material. But what we see here is that when when you sow generously, what's going to happen in your life, God's going to give you more ways to be generous. I think Paul's talking monetarily, but I don't think that's necessarily always the case. When, when you experience the joy of giving generously, I think God says, there's someone I can trust. I'm going to give them more ways to be generous. We see all sorts of results from that. We get to help other people and we get to see that. Paul says, you know, when other people see you giving and they experience the help you give, you know what's going to happen is that people are going to praise God. When you, can, when you can give and help someone else, it can result in the praise of God, Paul says. It can bring people together as we rally around a cause to share the gospel in our community and beyond. There's so many good things that can happen, so many ways in which we can increase our giving that may or may not have anything to do with financial gifts. But here's what we know. It begins with an understanding of the good news of Jesus. That's where it starts. That's where it has to start. Everything else is a dead end. There is no direction God wants you to go. It does not begin with the starting point of being gospel-saturated, being filled with this reality that he who was rich for your sake became poor so that we who are poor might become rich. Do you believe that? Do you sense the richness of of God in your life? Do you feel like, you know, I've got a relationship with my Heavenly Father. I know where I'm going when I die. I know who I can trust and who I can lean on. I know His presence in my life. Wouldn't you take that and live in a shack rather than live in a mansion and know none of those things? Isn't knowing the gospel the, the richest thing you could possibly possess is to have that knowledge? To have your life changed? It all begins there. And I think that's where we have to do. And here's my challenge to you as we uh, come to our invitation. Here's my challenge to you. If that reality doesn't lead you to be a cheerful giver, here's what I want you to do. I want you to dwell on what the gospel is in your life for a solid week. This is my challenge. It's very specific. Every morning, take five, ten minutes and just think about what does 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 8, verse 9 mean? What does it mean that Jesus became, who was rich, became poor, so that I who was poor might become rich? Just ponder that. Just think on that. Every morning, spend five, ten minutes and just think about what does it mean that Jesus became spiritually poor, that you might become spiritually rich? What does that mean? Just marinate your heart in the truth of the gospel. Just let that transform. Forget about all the giving stuff, okay? All the financial giving stuff. Just set that aside for a minute and just focus on that and see how that might transform your heart. Because at the end of the day, that's what Paul wanted. That's why he went back to the gospel again and again. That's why he says, God, is at, God loves it when you cheerfully give. Why? Because you're giving from a place that understands what the gospel is about. And if you don't understand what the gospel is about, you're never going to experience the joy of giving. So let's start there. Let's start now. Forget about tomorrow morning. How about we start now and let that bleed over to tomorrow morning? 
Let's go into our time of invitation with this, with this, with this idea in mind that, that God help me to know how rich I am because of Jesus. Can we do that? Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. God, I just recognize that there is ways that you are good to me that, that I am overlooking. You are so good. There are blessings I'm not even aware of. But there's one I know for sure. There's one at the center of our lives. There's one that is true for anyone. That he who was rich became poor so that I, who am spiritually poor, might become spiritually rich. I, who do not deserve a relationship with you, might have you as my father. I, who deserves an eternity distance from you in hell, can be welcomed into heaven. There is no greater blessing than that. Father, we give you thanks for that. And I just pray for those who, God, maybe they've had their eyes so focused on material things that they have missed this, the most important thing. So worried about money and getting more, having enough that, God, it's overshadowed their spiritual poverty. God, that you might convict them and help them to see you want far more for them than a little bit of peace and comfort in this world. For those of us who know it and embrace it, maybe we've forgotten it, God. Maybe we've let the world influence us. We've let other things steal our attention away from you. And we've lost that joy of giving. Sure, we're giving, but there's, truthfully, we're not doing cheerfully. We're not doing it out of a heart that just knows that it's a privilege to give to a God who has given so much to us. Help us to put our attention back on that truth. That we might become those cheerful givers because we know you love it. And we know you love us. Help us to love you in this way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.